Episode 405, The Dark Tower, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, Part 4. Or is it Part 1.5? We'll talk about it. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, one of your hosts today, and I have been joined by Steve, Steve MacDonald, one of your That's other hosts me. for today. Steve, That's it's been a while. How are you doing? How long has it been? It just seems like you guys just keep rolling with the episodes. Yeah, but if you look at it, it's like, uh, that was me alone. <laughs> that was me with Adam. That was me alone. That was me with Nathan. That was me alone reposting episode seven. That was me alone. Oh, this one had Evan and Steve. That was 2022 in review back in wow, January. Way back in 2022. Yeah. I can't even remember 2022 at this point. Well, we talked about it in January of 2023. Can you remember 2023? Barely. So here's what we're doing. We are talking about a series of episodes that we started when? Back in episode 47. 86. <laughs> yeah, back when we recorded this on uh, tape, it was. <laughs> on reel to reel, I think. Reel to reel tape. Yep. Yep. And we would put each episode out on an eight track. It was great, man. It was, man. I'd tool around in my. My uh, my '66 Oldsmobile, and and pop it in every time I wanted to hear 22 <laughs> minutes of of an episode. So strictly speaking, out of the Silent Planet was part one. We did that one in episode 344. Then we talked about Paralandra in episode 372, and then we talked about that hideous strength in episode 386. But there was also the time that we recorded an episode about into the out of the silent planet that was episode 47 that we forgot about completely yeah. when we started the series we had started the series once before so long ago <laughs> uh other cs list episodes we have had we did a two-parter about till we have faces in episode 211 and 212 and that was early on in uh evan's run with us i think i believe so yeah yeah um it's hard to remember exactly. He came on a little bit before 200. And episode 212. Then, yeah, I did do a episode where I read my essay that I wrote about uh, the four loves and Jackie Brown, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown movie, uh, which was episode 367. So we'll have links to all these episodes in the show notes. But we are not here to talk about any of those things. We are here to talk about the Dark Tower which is the fourth kind of ish ish novel in pseudo novel the space trilogy oid <laughs> but steve we say ish i mean there's even question if he even wrote it yes because there's ways to examine objectively how someone writes and cs lewis famously would write like first drafts and that's it so it's not like he you know just would jot down some notes and sort of you know nudge the words around or anything like that so what we get from him are basically first drafts and then he'd send it off the editor the editor would hammer it into place and things like uh, that hideous strength where the the dates are incorrect you know if you follow the dates given to you in that hideous strength you go off pace. It it just, it, it doesn't make sense after a while, but it's not all about the dates. It's about other stuff going on and you get lost in all that other stuff and you forget about the dates, but it just sort of goes to prove that that's the way C.S. Lewis wrote. So whatever this is, the dark tower, if it was C.S. Lewis writing it, this is what he wanted to write. And when you look at it analytically through these these things, then you can see whether or not it matches up with other things that he wrote. And alarmingly, it doesn't. 
So when people look at the body of work that he's given us, what does that tell us about this thing? Stylometric analyses, two of them have compared Dark Tower to other books, and both have supported the perception that for whatever reason, the style of the Dark Tower is atypical of that employed by Lewis in the trilogy. The first concluded from examination of a portion of the Dark Tower's text that with, this is a quote, with respect to the frequency of single letters and particularly letter pairs, the Dark Tower fragment represents a different style than the books comprising Lewis' Deep Space trilogy. And the second one concluded that vocabulary usage in the Dark Tower differs from that predicted by Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra. So there are things in the book where he actually uses Americanisms when he's describing things. And that's sort of a tell to a lot of people. So it's kind of interesting because we're given this thing and no one can conclusively say, oh no, it wasn't Lewis. It was someone else who wrote it because that person hasn't come forward or we haven't found that person accidentally has written their name on one of the pages or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But from what we can tell of analyzing it, it seems different. And even things like the stinging man, you know, things like that seem different. You know, even things like the, the, the names of some of the characters seem a little forced to sort of put it into Lewis's terms, like like uh, Scudamore is from uh, The Fairy Queen. And it's sort of like, sort of in your face a little bit too much. It's sort of like, hey, look, here's a Fairy Queen reference. Uh, C.S. Lewis loved The Fairy Queen. So obviously this must be a, you know, a, a C.S. Lewis story. <laughs> so there might be things like that. But I guess in this context, we're going to examine it for what it is. And we're given it to us as if it were C.S. Lewis' story. So since we have nothing else to go on, we will assume that C.S. Lewis wrote it. The primary uh, suspect (laughs) of who (laughs) might be the person who would have written this if C.S. Lewis did not is Walter Hooper. Walter Hooper was someone who was involved with C.S. Lewis, had a relationship with C.S. Lewis. Uh, After C.S. Lewis died, the story is that the caretaker was burning uh, just papers uh, from C.S. Lewis's study. And Walter Hooper realized what he was doing and ran over and rescued some fragments of stories, really. And so you have uh, the part of the rescue was the Dark Tower. Now, one other thing about this is even in Walter Hooper's own description of what was going on with this Dark Tower manuscript, there's only one person who even said that they knew about this this possible book uh, sequel to Out of the Silent Planet. And uh, I can't remember the name of that person, but they were actually interviewing some other people for a book that Walter Hooper was writing that was a biography of C.S. Lewis. And when they would talk to like Tolkien or whoever, um, other people from the Inklings had no inkling that this was a thing. <laughs> That's another thing that even Walter Hooper is is recognizing that not many people even knew about this thing. But he's the guy who the finger gets pointed at as far as the story of the manuscripts was made up by him, the story of the Dark Tower. He may have written it or someone else may have written it, but he was perpetuating the hoax. And so you have this writer, and this is how I became familiar with this. I would look at the Christian Book Distributor catalog and I would look for anything C.S. Lewis related that was new. And there was a book called The C.S. Lewis Hoax written by Catherine Linskoog that was really about a lot of different things, but the primary focus was this book here, was The Dark Tower for the C.S. Lewis hoax. Then she did another book that I can't remember the title of. It was a follow-up. And then she did the book you were holding in your hand, Sleuthing C.S. Lewis, which was interesting to me that she is accusing Walter Hooper of creating a career, trying to create a career, based on C.S. Lewis and riding his coattails and how do we, 
you know, how do we make more money off of C.S. Lewis? Meanwhile, she's written three books about the same thing (laughs) and more. She also wrote a book called Finding the Landlord, I think is what it was called, which is actually just a straight up exploration of the Pilgrim's Regress. And it's kind of a annotation going through the Pilgrim's Regress and explaining references and and that sort of thing. So she really was building her career as a C.S. Lewis scholar, but for her, you know, to have written three books about the Dark Tower, which is kind of interesting. I believe Walter Hooper has passed away. And so I think any answers one way or another, that's going to sway anyone who's on the fence. They're not going to be forthcoming. All we can do is do the analyzing that we've done or that they've done. I should say, I guess we could do new analyzing. You could use AI maybe and, and use chat GPT to finish the book. Or something like that. But well, that's kind of interesting that you said that because I have used Chat GPT <laughs> to finish plotting the book. Really? I did. This book? This book. Interesting. And I actually did okay. it two different ways. So later on I think it would be interesting to take a look at So if it is written by C. S. Lewis, it was written before Paralandra. It was written as a sequel to Out of the Silent Planet. Ransom is a character in the book, but one of the things that makes me look at it and say this is maybe one of the reasons why he just forgot about it and said no more is Ransom didn't really have a place in the book. And you could even – that could be cause for for someone to say, well, then this wasn't – maybe that's another reason why you could say he didn't write the book uh, was that – Uh, Ransom was a minor character, if that. Uh, He's presented as one of two Christian believers in in the book, Uh, the other Christian believer being Lewis, who appears as a character in the book. He's the primary narrator, uh, same as he was with Out of the Silent Planet. Um, And so as far as it being part of the Space Trilogy or the Ransom Trilogy or whatever you want to call that, if it had happened, it would have taken things in a very, very different, different direction uh, outside of the deep space and the planets and, and all of that. It would have been something that had been more, maybe more earthbound. It does feel like it kind of fits of a piece with that hideous strength, with the darkness within our own world. It's but, interesting as if it were a lead up to it, because... Uh, well, for instance, Camilla is a character in both The Dark Tower and That Hideous Strength. Um, so having a connecting character along with Ransom and, I mean, in That Hideous Strength, I mean, Ransom is not really there for a long time. Right. Um, so you get this sense of where's where's Ransom, you know, and in the in the, the dark tower, you know, you sort of, you sort of lose him a little bit because, you know, I, I think if anything, he would probably be like the guardian character, you know, of, uh, of Scudamore. Um, and you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's not a minor character, but it's really not the focus. And no, no, you know, having this other, this completely other person, you know, <laughs> that takes the place of Ransom in this story that Ransom took in the other stories is kind of uh, an interesting... It, it would be interesting to see who Scudamore really was in the writer's mind if it wasn't C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the plot so that as we're talking about these elements, we can have at least a foundation to build on as far as like what the story was actually about. It's... uh. A handful of pages are missing from the book as far as they may have gone into the fire that the caretaker had or they may have been lost some other way. But it's a story about C.S. Lewis, Ransom, and a few other men who are all um, college professors and they're all coming together with Orpheu. Is that how you would say it? Orpheu, yep. Okay. And they're talking about time travel. And they're talking about how time travel as the pulps might show it is not possible because of the was it law of conservation of mass basically, which is 
matter and energy can't be created or destroyed. Uh, and so if you were to go into the future, then the stuff of your body would be somewhere else. Like if you go a thousand years into the future, the stuff of your body would be spread out all over the earth in, you know, different ways that your body has decomposed. Um, yeah. If you're going to the past, then the things that your body is would be spread all over the earth because they haven't come together into your body. So right. the energy from eating an apple hasn't passed from that apple into your body yet. In fact, it's it's water and it's soil somewhere else. And so you can't do that. It's just practically impossible to travel through time. But you can see through time. And I love the science fiction conceit that they have here of the chronoscope. Yeah. And they use the chronoscope to look into another time. They don't know if it's the future. They don't know if it's the past. There's a mystery there. And I'm really curious what the mystery would have been. This is one of the the things from this book that just engages my imagination. What were they thinking? Where was it going to go? But what they're looking at is basically, and this is where I wonder if the science is wrong. Was it actually they were looking into the future or looking into the past, or is it they were looking at a multiverse, at another Earth? Because there are buildings that are being worked on. There's a dark tower that's being built that matches exactly the library there at, at the university. And there are people that they see who match people in their life. Um, how do you say his name? Scudamore? Scudamore, yep. Scudamore. Scudamore is, uh, he's over there. They're, they're looking through this screen. It's like watching a movie, but they see this horrible looking man with a stinger on him. And then they see a man who looks just like Scudamore and Scudamore becomes like that horrible looking man. Cause he gets his own stinger. And then as Scudamore is looking through the screen, he sees Camilla on the other side and without thinking he just goes to help her runs into the machine the machine gets knocked over broken down and a body rises from the machine and runs out and then we find out that, that scudamore and his double have switched places scudamore uh, or they switch bodies rather because scudamore is now in that other world he has his own stinger and now he's trying to figure out how to navigate being in this world when he doesn't know anything about the world. Now, his body knows the language. His body can read the language. His body likes the food that's there. He tastes it and doesn't necessarily like it himself, but his body does. And so he has to deal with, this is gross, but I like it, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, he's over there. They have to find out a way to bring them back. And repair the machine on both sides. Repair the chronoscope on both sides. And and that's it. <laughs> they, they don't because it just stops. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Godspeed. <laughs> um, Hold on. Yeah, that was a good yeah, one. Good episode. It, it just stops. And so Scudamore is the primary focus. Ransom, Lewis, and the other guys are tasked with finding Scudamore on their side, but um, he's run off and he's, you know, a, a mean guy running away, knocks them <laughs> over, butts them with his head, stuff like that. So, because he figured he has a stinger, but he doesn't. Right, right. Yeah, which is kind of an interesting, yeah, interesting yeah. touch. So there's there's some interesting sci-fi things. The chronoscope is really cool, and I think it's something that I've seen in other places, it's something I'd like to play with as well in a time travel story. It, it reminds me of um, the, in Star Trek. That the city on the episode, edge forever, the guardian of forever. Edge, yes. The guardian. Of forever. Yeah. So they're looking through it and they see all the flashing, you know, that type yeah. of stuff. So it does remind me of that type of thing. I, yeah, it, I think it'd be a really fun one, fun concept to play with. I also think, if you were to play with this concept of the chronoscope, you really, you're not ripping off C.S. Lewis or Walter Hooper or whoever, because it's, <laughs> it's not a particularly original idea. It's what you do with it that makes it original. And right. that's where, what was C.S. Lewis doing with this here, where they were looking into this basically 
evil feeling place. So much so that they thought at one point, are we looking at hell? Are we looking at hell? And then they're saying, well, no, 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 because there are people there who are hurting other people, but that's not the hell of the Bible, which is a place that people have chosen to be because they've rejected Christ and they've rejected God. And this is, there's pleasures over there, but it's, it just doesn't seem like that's what this could possibly be. And so as I was reading it this last time, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if this was meant to be a parallel universe or if, you know, they think they're looking through time, but then he's exploring these other things about how memories are actually remembering the past, but deja vu is remembering the future. And this is either the past or the future. And there's, you know, it just gets really, I feel like it gets a little bit weird. And this is another reason why I wonder if he's let this go is because he didn't really know where he was going with it. Like he had this idea of the switching of places, but wasn't quite sure where, where to take it or wasn't quite sure. How do I dramatize the quote unquote adventure of like chasing down Scudamore in our world? Yeah. How do you resolve something when you've, you know, it's sort of like when I was reading the green mile, A lot of people don't remember. It was put out in a serial form. Mm -hmm. And Stephen King was writing it before he was publishing the first one before the last one was written. And, you know, like The Watchmen, too. You know, it was the first one was published before Moore had a real keen understanding of where it was going to end. So when I got to the end of it and then was able to look back on it as a whole, I found it sort of like there were things that weren't picked up. There were things that were left out. There were things that were assumed that like you, you, you go into the ending and you're like, well, that's really not what it was like, but I guess, you know, and so a lot of times when you get a writing and C.S. Lewis did this as well. I remember, you know, last time I read uh, that hideous strength, I was like, you know, he's just, you know, it, it, it seemed like there was a lot in there that didn't really need to be, you know, it could have been much tighter, but that's just not the way he wrote. So a lot of times when I get these writings, I get that sense that there's they're writing themselves to a point where they're either going to get to the end of it and complete it or not. And this seems like one of those ones that was not. And yet here we are reading it and doing a right, podcast right. about it. And someone wrote three books debunking it. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's odd that something this singular would be getting this much attention. But of course it's C.S. Lewis. So, Well, and you say this much attention. I mean, it's not like everyone's read it. It's not right. even like everyone who's read the Space Trilogy has read it. Um, it's the people who are very interested in C.S. Lewis who are reading this. It's the people, you know, Catherine Linsku being one who she wrote three books about it because she, I think maybe one word to use to describe her would be tenacious. Like she is going to go after this and she's going to look for the truth with this. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure if she's still alive or not, but um, I mean, she, she was writing about C.S. Lewis back in the seventies. So oh, she's Might have been young. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, this is something that she hitched her wagon to and really wanted to find the truth about this and wanted to let everyone know what she was finding out as she was seeking out the truth. She passed away in 2003. Oh, okay. So she passed away a lot longer ago than I thought. She wrote a lot of stuff related to C.S. Lewis. Her, that's interesting, her Wikipedia article, there's a longer quote from Douglas Gresham alone than her article actually is but because <laughs> it says uh c.s lewis's stepson douglas gresham denies the forgery claim saying the whole controversy thing was engineered for very personal reasons her fanciful theories have been pretty thoroughly discredited oh i guess that's the, the end of the quote there 
Yeah, there's another so. quote near the end. But then it also says it is clear. So whoever edited this article is really not on her side. It no. is clear from the diaries of Warren Lewis that Lewis's brother distrusted Hooper, whom he viewed as a dishonest interloper in the 1960s. Lewis scholars are divided about the merits of Linskuga's charges, but some of them have been disproved by the discovery of Lewis's own typescripts. Much of her perceived animosity towards Hooper may or may not have been derived from disappointment that she was not given any role in dealing with his literary legacy, though Lewis acknowledged her as knowledgeable about his bibliography. Oh, that's interesting. So Lewis was aware of the, the things she was writing, hmm. which actually, yeah, The Lion of Judah and Never Neverland. I have that book. I got that in high school. Um, is from nineteen her nineteen fifty seven thesis that she wrote, and then the C.S. Lewis hoax was nineteen eighty eight. Light in the Shadowlands. That's the second book. That's the one that I also picked up when I was in college. Nineteen ninety four, Finding the Landlord. Ninety five, Sleuthing C.S. Lewis was two thousand one. So that was just before she passed away. Yep. Okay. That's the one I have here. I I don't know, Steve. Uh, do you lean on the side of him not writing this? Yes. You do? Yeah. Because there's a lot of objectivity when it comes to the stylometric um, ways of looking at things because it's it's not anyone trying to do anything except look at a set of standard things and then see how it matches up against another set of standard things. And you can put anything in there. So it's not like anyone is, it, it's, it's double blind. I mean, it's, it's not even that it's, it's no one is looking at it at all because it's just analyzing very basic things. And when you have that along with the fact that, um, you know, there are obvious Americanisms in it. Um, it's just, there's just too many little tells about, you know, just, I mean, just the names, you know, the, and, and Scudamore and Orphew and, and things like that. And, and whoever wrote it, you know, oh, well, we're going to put Ransom in there. But I think whoever wrote it, like Scudamore was their, their icon, their little, you know, person that they're, that's, that's them, you know, so they're the hero of this story. Um, but that's their secret name. And then they put in Camilla because Camilla shows up in another story. And, you know, I mean, it's like all these little things, they're seeds that you would put in there to sort of give it the, the credentials that it needs to carry it over. And there's just so many of them <laughs> at some <laughs> point I'm like, well, where's George McDonald going to show up in this one, you know? <laughs> so um, but you know, I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I have no, you know, no horse in this race really, but that's just my, my feeling is that, uh, is that he did not write it. So my gut is that he did that's, and I don't know if that's wishful thinking or if that's, I, I, I don't know, but here's the problem, whether he did or not, it's not great. There's some interesting stuff in it. There's some interesting ideas. There's a couple moments that are uh, that I remember the the haunting moments that we've talked about before on the podcast, where it's something you remember outside of the context of the story. Right. Um, one being the the sting and what they do to to create slave people in the in the world. Uh, one being when the stinging man before Scudamire's uh, double gets his sting. There's another stinging man who's just, he then just turns and looks at them through the screen. And the question is, can he see them or not? And it's a really strong, tense moment. And it was, that was really well done. Um, And we talked about the chronoscope. Yeah. Because you're in, you're in that scene. Yeah. You know, you're, you're it in the way it's, it's written, especially the first, the pages, the first, you know, the meeting of, of the men there, you're in that scene. You feel as though you're smoking a pipe, you know, right alongside Lewis. And when you get to that point where that, you know, the stinging man looks 
it's like he's looking at you. It's it's that well written. That part was well written. There's so many other things that it just seems like it's you know the it's the mashed potatoes <laughs> falling off the wall. But um, well, yeah, because then there's other parts where it's trying to explain the history books of that world and the the way that they view time, and it just gets really kind of confusing, convoluted. Um, and if he did write it, and this is what I, I, I feel bad for people like C.S. Lewis in this way. If he did write it, he never intended anyone to read this. <laughs> he didn't intend us to read it. Why? Because he never finished it. It wasn't yeah. edited. It wasn't, it was not meant for consumption. He abandoned it because he didn't feel that it had worth. And I'm glad he did. And I, I think I said this on the YouTube video, but I'm glad he abandoned it because we got Paralandra instead. Yeah. And so the sequel to Out of the Silent Planet was Paralandra, which is, for me, one of the best books in Christian literature, for sure. One of my favorite books of all time. It's definitely up in the top, I'd say top seven books of all time. Uh, if I was... Seven and a half. Yeah, I don't know. You'd have to <laughs> sit me down and force me to rank them. Uh, Till have faces is still number one for sure, but Paralander is right up there. Um, I'm not sure what would, uh, what would compete in that in that whole top seven. But no, <laughs> <laughs> I never read Left Behind, so I really can't speak knowledgeably. Wow. Yeah. See, I was working at CBD during the Left Behind craze and you think i might be crazy calling it left behind craze oh no it was a craze there was a craze and it was i mean we got shipments before the book came out and we were told we do not open these boxes you do not open these boxes and they were just uh, almost like under guard <laughs> i mean and it was <laughs> it was in a warehouse and a christian bookseller but it was it, there was a craze to it. I I happened to get a lot of the audio, and they actually did some um, uh, like twelve episode uh, audio series, full cast and everything, of uh, each of the I think each of the books, um, and they were rather well well done the audio versions. Uh, if you you know if, if if that's your thing, not in my top seven. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Not my top seven, just because I haven't read it. I can't. I can't put it up there because because okay. I haven't read it. All right, so, we'll let it go yeah. this time. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the Dark Tower. I probably would have liked it if it was published, but I think that even more so, if 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 the space trilogy was out of the Silent Planet, and then the Dark Tower, and then that hideous strength as a follow up to the the dark tower or something like that hideous strength. I don't think we would be talking about the space trilogy other than it's as it's that other thing that the Narnia guy wrote, which yeah. honestly for some people, the space trilogy is that other thing. Yeah. The Narnia guy wrote yeah. instead yeah, we get, we got Paralandra. It's interesting trying to trace where CS Lewis might've got the idea. And I'm just saying if, if he did write this, I'm just going to go with that you know, where he would have got the ideas for, uh, for this book. You could go to the abolition of man when he's talking about, you know, the men with no chests, um, things like that. So, you know, there are ways of smoothing it over. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, that hideous strength was based off of the abolition of man. So yeah. And this two, is way before then too. Well, I, I, he could have been, you know, writing both at the same time or, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's a way to do that if you, if you really want to, to do that. But even with that, it's sort of like, and then he has the hideous strength with that, you know, the, whatever it is, the, the appendix, you know, from the abolition of man. So it's like, uh, maybe he was writing this and then he got rid of this and then he wrote that hideous strength. And, you know, maybe, I mean, there's, I'm, I'm trying. Well, <laughs> I'm trying. but here's the thing. No. Okay. So out of the silent planet 
would have been uh, it was published in 38 in 1938. Paralander was published in 1943, That Hideous Strength in 1945. And so if Lewis wrote this, it would have been probably 1939, 1940, somewhere in there, because he was also writing other books. Yeah. And so in 1940, he wrote the problem of, or published The Problem of Pain, Case for Christianity, was 42 uh his on the fiction side screw tape letters was 1942 and i mean this is where i could i could just see him like dropping the dark tower because he was in church and just thinking about that lady sitting in front of him <laughs> that was just distracting him so much because she bothered him and then he's like, and this is the way the devil causes us to lose track of what we should be paying attention to. Wait a minute. What if there was a devil who needed to learn about that? I'm just going to, and that's actually not, not too far away from like what his actual thought process right. was in coming up with the idea. But yeah, I, if this was written, uh, by him, I think it was, we're probably talking 1939, 1940-ish. Um, and then you would have Paralandra, which was being written in 1942, published in 1943. That so his strength, which was being written during World War II and published in 45. Yeah. So in my thinking, he was writing this. He decided not to finish it, but he took the ideas, put that into the abolition of man, and then wrote um, that hideous strength based on that. So if you had that flow, it makes sense. There are threads into that hideous strength. I mean, you have McPhee, mm-hmm. who different guy, but some similarities as far as like beliefs and, and a little bit of personality, I guess. You've mentioned Camilla. Um, but there, the thread to Paralandra, I'm wondering if you would have had a similar showdown between Scudamore's double inhabiting his body on earth and ransom similar in some ways, maybe to the interesting into, to the uh, conflict between ransom and um, was it Weston? Yeah. Weston in, Mm -hmm. in Paralandra. And, you know, there may have even been a battle for Camilla I see Camilla more as an as like an actual character, like you know, like the the reason character. So you know, she would be sort of like the Princess Leia, you know, in the uh, in the the model if we're casting it that way, where you know she's going to bring something to the story that makes sense of something, you know, and I I, I sort of see her as that instead of you know, a, uh, just a character to, to be a female to, you know, fight over. <laughs> well, so here's, I think it was, yeah, I think it was Walter Hooper who was wondering, and, and if Walter Hooper wrote it, then he would also uh, be able to tell us that this is what it was. But they talk about how other time children have been exchanged for ones on earth in the past and could it be that the Camillas were exchanged when they were children? And so Camilla on Earth was actually originally from other time, and Camilla in other time was actually originally from, from our time. But how would know. that have worked? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we can't know because it wasn't written. Nope. So, but that's, as I'm kind of thinking, we'll see what chat GPT says, but exactly. as I was thinking of where things were going to go, there's these threads of, as I'm looking at what we actually did get, could the conflict between Scudamar and, and Ransom have kind of been a early idea that was developed into Paralandra and their conflict? And then could Camilla have been an early idea of Jane? 
in in that hideous strength and and could some of the stuff with the the head and with nice could some of that stuff have been actually have have their roots and the room there was things with the statue that they were worshiping in other time that reminded me of that one room with the profane art in it yeah and could that have been something that he you know a, a thread that he pulled on and pulled from one one project over to the other and and could it be that he had um taken so many different things from the dark tower and used it in other things where he's just like ah <laughs> yeah it's long gone forget about it yeah forget about it this is americanism <laughs> yeah very very much so that i mean i've i've done the same types of things where i'm more of a you know let's put everything together and try to make everything work in one whole unit um but even with that you know there's things where i'm just like i have to i have to put this in a completely different thing <laughs> because it's not you know anything that can that can fit in there's just too many too many problems with it fitting in well but that's um, the, similar things have happened to me where i'll get an idea and then i'll do something kind of like that idea and something else and i'm like ah now i can't use this one over here yeah. um time flies is like that where it took a couple different ideas and kind of brought them in together Elements from here, elements from there, elements from here. And then I realized, oh, those three ideas that I had, they're all three gone now because yeah. they all exist in this one. And it's so now I can't do time dragonflies. <laughs> Actually, dragonflies are in time flies, but um, but I can't. I had the one idea and I'm glad that this happened, actually, because there was I had an idea to do a, a, a comic called Quantum Mechanics that is about people who fix time. And not long after I had changed it to Time Flies and done some things, I was sitting with a publisher of one of my books. And I looked down the, the table at another person who was with that same publisher, and they had a book called Quantum Mechanics. And it was a preview it book. <laughs> it was about people who would fix i don't know if they were fixing time but um but then they had to change the title because someone owned the trademark on quantum mechanics wow and so i can't remember what to change the title to but i felt bad for them and relieved for myself (laughs) because i took the storyline idea from quantum mechanics that i had and brought it over to the character ideas that i had for time flies so sometimes it works out for the good and sometimes it does feel bad, like I've I've lost something. There's an idea that's gone <laughs> now. I can never use this idea because it's so close to what I did over there. But the, I mean, time flies. You really did a great job with that. So I wouldn't feel bad about anything you put in there. Oh, I don't. You know? I don't feel bad yeah. about that. I'm just saying that you, you know right. these three other ideas that I had that kind of brought together into that. Back to the Dark Tower. All right. So Dark Tower. What did chat GPT say? All right. So this is what I did just to, to give you a little bit of behind the scenes before I, I didn't just, Hey, jet chat GPT. How does the dark tower end? Um, what I did was I, I asked it a couple of questions. So I knew that it was talking about the same thing that I was because I could put dark tower in and it just starts spitting out Stephen King material. Um, so what I did first was make sure they had the information that, that I was working off of. And then I said, what would be the themes that are present in the fragment? And it said, uh, what we can gather from the text, we can discern a few key themes. Exploration of alternate realities, the nature of evil, the limits of science, and manipulation and control. Then I said, Based on these themes and based on the text that we have, what part of the hero's journey does the text end on? Hmm. So looking at the hero's journey, it said that it probably ended right before the road of trials. So, okay, the 
crossing the first threshold. Okay. Given that, I said, with the themes and the direction of the narrative, what would be some concrete events or experiences that might occur at each stage of the rest of the journey? So chat GPT, whenever you're talking about stories, it always assumes that it's not a tragedy. Hmm. Okay. So what I did was I had it feed out one thing and then I said, what would be a tragic version of it? So I'll give you both of them and see what you think. So the first one, we have the whole story and then it starts in the road of trials where Scudamore and Ransom might try different experiments with the chronoscope, each presenting its own challenges and revealing more about the alternate universe and the macrobes. They might discover that their actions observed through the chronoscope have unintended consequences in the alternate universe, which could lead to moral dilemmas and further trials. Meeting with the goddess or atonement with the father, they could encounter another figure from Lewis's space trilogy, perhaps a celestial being like an Eldil or even Maleldil, the god figure in the trilogy. This entity could provide them with deeper insights about the nature of the macrobes and of the alternate universe. Then with woman as temptress, it said this stage could be metaphorical rather than involving an actual woman. It might involve a temptation to misuse a chronoscope for personal gain or to interfere with the alternate universe in unethical ways. And also I, I thought about in a completed version of the story, Camilla might play actually a more significant role here. Um, and, you know, understanding the themes and stuff, she might have, you know, that voice of reason or, you know, some ethical thing that's happening there. Or maybe she could have been more deeply involved in the exploration of the alternate universe. Um, then we have the apotheosis, which Scudamore and Ransom may have a profound realization about the nature of reality, the macrobes, and even their own ethical responsibilities. This could come from a direct encounter or through some event in the alternate universe that makes them understand uh, the influences there. Um, then the ultimate boon could be the successful prevention of an event in the alternate universe or the discovery of a way to counteract the alternate universe's influences in their own world. The magic flight and rescue from without would be the heroes facing threats from uh, perhaps the macrobes as they try to return to their world. A third party, perhaps one of the Eldils they met in earlier or another character from the space trilogy might help them escape. Um, crossing of the return threshold would be back in their own world. They would have to convince their fellow scholars about the reality of the macrobes and the ethical implications of the chronoscope. Master of two worlds, having grappled with the reality of the other universe and the uh, and Scudamore and Ransom could develop new methods to detect or counteract uh, the influences into coming into their own world. And then freedom to live, the story might end with Scudamore and Ransom having a deeper understanding of the world and their place in it, ready to use their newfound knowledge for the betterment of humanity, which that's the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, the, the good one. So in the tragic version, the road to trials, Scudamore and Ransom experiments with the chronoscope continuously lead to adverse effects in the alternate universe, causing chaos and destruction. Their attempts to rectify the situation only compound the damage. Meeting with the goddess or atonement with the father, they encounter a celestial being, possibly an Eldil, who admonishes them for their misuse of the chronoscope and reveals the irreversible harm they've caused to the alternate universe and its inhabitants. This is going somewhere with that. This is kind of interesting. Woman is temptress. And this one, it said Camilla, fascinated by the chronoscope's potential, succumbs to a temptation and begins manipulating the device for her own curiosity, inadvertently causing even more harm. The apotheosis here would be Scudamore and Ransom realizing too late the implications of their actions. They understand they've acted unethically and need to stop using the chronoscope, but the damage is irreversible. The ultimate boon becomes a bitter victory. They manage to shut down the chronoscope, preventing further harm, but they cannot undo the damage that they've already caused to the alternate universe. The magic flight and the rescue from without, as a consequence of their actions, they're pursued by the macrobes. The celestial being intervenes, sacrificing itself, allowing Ransom and Camilla to escape, while Scudamore stays behind to ensure their escape. So you have like an Eldil sacrificing, you know, almost, almost like a atonement type thing and mm -hmm. also Scudamore staying behind sort of to pay that human price 
um, then crossing over to the return, the crossing of the return threshold back in their world, Ransom and Camilla, uh, devastated by guilt and loss, are unable to convince their fellow scholars about the reality of the macrobes and the dangerous implications of the chronoscope. Their warnings are dismissed, leaving them isolated. Master of two worlds, they're haunted by the knowledge of the alternate universe and the macrobes. Instead of triumphantly mastering two worlds, they're burdened by their failure and their inability to make things right. And then instead of the freedom to live, Ransom and Camilla are left with the knowledge of their actions and the alternate universe is suffering. They are changed, weighed down by guilt and a deeper understanding of their world, ready to prevent such misuse of knowledge in the future. Their freedom to live comes at a great cost, turning the story's end into a sobering reflection on responsibility and the potential dangers of unchecked scientific progress. <laughs> so there's there's two versions right there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean you can monkey with it and come up with your own too. So it's 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 fun. Chat GPT is is a helpful device. I just feel that uh... I think that there would be something to do with Scudamore's double and Camilla in our world where he would find her, possibly recognize her That's or cool. yeah. Or find her because the other guys have found her. So like Lewis ransom and all the, you know, or they find her, they bring her back because they're worried about her because of the double that she had. And that's what causes him. He be- Scudamore, Scudamore's uh, double becomes interested in Camilla only because they have interest in, in protecting her. And yeah, so that, that'd be curious to see where that goes. I, I think it'd be really interesting because there would be some exploration into what that thing wants in our world. He's here now. So what does he want to do? How does he want to survive? Is it the kind of thing where he would try and exert power in that world in, in our world or or what um and then you also have the whole thing with the white riders in the other time and who's the bad guys you know and yeah clearly and, and scudamore even says the people he's with in the dark tower were definitely the ones who felt like the evil side, the the bad guys. But once he gets there, he realizes some of the things they're doing is because there are these really bad white writers. And so I'm curious. I'm curious. It would be fun to, you know, obviously legally you couldn't really publish anything <laughs> and to do a fan fiction of the missing pages for this thing. But it, I, I could see it being a fun exercise. However, if you're thinking about a fun exercise, I would say to you, dear listener, your fun exercise should be do a story you can that's yours yeah. <laughs> that you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Um, but maybe take the chronoscope. You know, there's some fun things you can do with that. There's, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly what's pictured here. Uh, one of the horrifying things was that the chronoscope in our world they use synthetic chemicals to create it but it's synthetic chemicals that mimic some of the chemicals within our own camera it's our eyes or our brains i think it was brains uh but in other time they had to use brains <laughs> to to make it and i'm just thinking well wait a minute how is he going to how is he going to do that like morally how does he get around this hurdle and is it the kind of thing where it's well i mean i didn't ask them to do it but it's here the stuff is there yeah sure it's somebody's brains but <laughs> At least I I, again one. i can't remember if it's brains or eyes but whatever it is someone had to be violated and harmed in order to take that in order to create the chronoscope in other time and and once i realized that they had the chronoscope in other time it in some ways unfortunately means oh well that's how it worked for the stinging man to be able to look through and see them but that moment man where he, it's it's dark it's quiet the th- there's only 3 of them there in the room watching the stinging man and then all of a sudden the stinging man turns his head looks at them moves his gaze from one to the other 
to the other, from one to the other to the other, for th- the, all three of them, to the point where they realize he must be looking at us. And, oh, great moment. Great moment in an otherwise not-so-wonderful book. So, Yeah. Steve, anything we're missing? Any, any final words that you want to make sure we talk about before we, we close this down? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about with the similarity to other works of fiction and stuff like that. But, you know, at at some point, you know, what's not derivative at this point. So, you know, I don't know how much of a, of a, uh, a benefit that would be to, you know, listeners, if, if, if this story reminds you of other stories, you know, those are probably intentional. (laughs) So, there's, there's some good ideas here, you know. There's uh, it, the the dystopian fiction. I mean, there's lots of yeah. good, lots of bad works of dystopian yeah. fiction too. But you know, there's there's all that stuff. There's you know any any type of of element that you could get from his story here. There are fully fleshed out versions of you know actual stories. You know, A Wrinkle in Time. You know, is one of the ones that's it's uh, famously compared to this one. Um, so, I mean, just things like, I mean, even the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, what do they do? They go to an alternate reality. You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's just more of a fantasy one than a dystopian one. So, you know, th- there's all these different uh, things that you could pull out of it. I, I would say the book, The Dark Tower, and other stories. If you like C.S. Lewis, it's definitely a book that belongs on your shelf with these other books, if you really like him. But what else comes in the book is The Man Born Blind, which, as far as I am aware, was first published in The Dark Tower and other stories. I don't know if that was ever published uh, in another form. There is a book called, I think it's just called Light, actually. And it's someone who took a, an original manuscript from the the library at the at Wheaton College or whatever, and did a comparison between this early draft and this later draft of the Man Born Blind, and then does a lot of analysis about it. Uh, it also has the Shoddy Lands mm-hmm. and uh, Ministering Angels. Those are both good short stories, but they were published in the magazine of uh, fantasy and science fiction in the 50s and forms of things unknown which is another short story that was first published in of other worlds essays and stories and that one is interesting because of the way it's it's about it's science fiction and then it's about space travel and going to the moon but then what they find on the moon is a little more science fantasy for sure yeah um, don't want to give up too much about that. And then after 10 years is also in here, which is another fragment, another story fragment, which would have been something similar to uh, Till We Have Faces, which is a rewriting of of myth. And yeah. this one would have been a rewrite of the Iliad, where uh, the war, the Trojan War, and the conceit that I think is so amazing in after 10 years is that Helen of Troy, when she was kidnapped was the face that launched a thousand ships mm-hmm. because she was so gorgeous. And then they finally get there to rescue her. And it's been 10 years and she's aged, yep. <laughs> but then there's also moments written about being in the Trojan horse in here. And so anyway, I, I think that it's worth reading then going back, you know, going to the YouTube videos, is it worth reading? I did say the Dark Tower is worth reading as homework, <laughs> it's, but it's not an essential, uh, an essential read. Whereas Paralandra and Tilia Faces, Lion the Witch in yeah. the Wardrobe, yeah, Screw Tape Letters, those are essential reads. Those are things mm. you're going to read. You're going to get so much out of them emotionally from Till We Have Faces, theologically from screw from tape. the abolition of man and Screw Tape and. Yep. And even Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. But there's just so much richness to all of those books. Paralandra, especially. Uh, there's so much richness. The richness in Dark Tower. It, it's, it's a little poorer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just different. 
You know, it's it's one of those things where it is different than C.S. Lewis' other writings. I do think that one of the sources of inspiration for him, if he wrote this, especially when he wrote it, would have been other science fiction and yeah. and maybe even like from then. yeah from the pulps you know and and uh just trying to say what's my spin on time travel right i could just picture him thinking about okay time travel and what about you know our particles and the make up our bodies and okay but what about seeing through time and the chronoscope comes up and it, it feels like the kind of thing that would be right at home in some of those magazines. But again, it still doesn't feel like the kind of thing that would be a must have on your shelf today. Yeah. We would still have mere Christianity, which would was another thing that just launched his name out there and made him a household name in some ways. That line that's in the wardrobe, mere Christianity, Paralandra, but this wouldn't be one of those <laughs> that no. you'd have to read. Super fans would read it, and that's who reads it now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it'll be interesting when it finally comes out, whether or not he wrote it definitively, and what happens at that point. You know. So let's imagine the conversation in heaven. <laughs> Walter, Walter, C.S. Lewis, Catherine, they're all standing around. Douglas, I mean, we're all going to be dead at some point, right? So Douglas Gresham's up there as well. Yeah. And they're all just, and, and Walter's like, if C.S. Lewis did write it, Catherine, come on now. Why, why'd you do me like that? You know? And, and, and if it and was if, Walter that wrote it. Yeah. If Walter wrote it, then Catherine would be like, hey, hey. Hey, 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 why yeah, did you do this? Yeah, but would be like, oh, but don't, no, 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 he's... Yeah. <laughs> and, and Walter's, of course, they're in heaven now, right? So Walter yeah. would be, you're right. <laughs> I am I shouldn't have done it. And aren't we all glad? Aren't we all glad that our sins have been atoned and we are yes. here now in glory? And... And Christ died for all my sins, just like all of yours, Catherine. Yeah. And the Catherine. two or three that you committed, CS. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm just going to say we're probably not going to care at that point. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I don't even know if it's going to come up, although we'll have eternity. So who knows? In, in it'll, it'll come the course, up. In the course of eternity, you know, you can only talk about things so many times, right? So... It yeah. might be a, a topic of conversation. And then you and I can actually ask them about it too. We could hey, probably uh, do podcasts in heaven. Yeah. Walter, we're recording our new uh, <laughs> podcast over here, Strangers and Angels. And uh, <laughs> would you mind being a guest and, and just talking about. I just want to dig into this. the whole Dark Tower deal. And he's Is like, okay? oh, you guys again? <laughs> I'll do it. Fine. Just so you leave me alone. You've been asking me for 10,000 years. This will be the definitive one. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing episode number 5,422. <laughs> Thousand. All right. Well, that's that then. Final words, Steve? Do you have a uh, going away words tidbit of wisdom? Are, yeah, I have a really... Uh, let's see. I think... Um, so he's picking uh, up sleuthing C.S. Lewis, looking for the random quote. I think Catherine Linskoog said it best when she said, um, uh, on 23 February, the dock was haunted by terrible, blasphemous, and obscene thoughts, and he was seized by violent screaming fits. Perfect. <laughs> Sums up my my take on the Dark Tower right there. <laughs> And I just want to say, everyone who is with us, thank you so much for spending time with us and love to hear from you. You can email studioavery at gmail.com if you have some thoughts on the Dark Tower or the Space Trilogy or the controversy. And until next time, wherever you are, wherever you're going, 
whatever universe you're in, if you're in our real world or other time, Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast hosted by Ben Avery, Evan David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter where we are at strangeandalien or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is one 804 Once again, thanks for listening. Catherine, come on now. Why, why'd you do me like that?